atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here This this presence that we're enjoying this morning has has really been um, ministering to me in the sense that it makes me recognize that although I do worship God in heaven, the supreme and sovereign being, he is Emmanuel. God with us, in us, and he's right here. And every time this presence manifests like this, his presence, I can hardly just stand. I, I mean, what do you do when the one who saved you and loves you enough to die for you is standing in front of you. What do you do? Well, I can't stand. <laughs> I have to bow. I have to kneel. And, and it's not that that's what you have to do. It's not that that's a rule. But it makes it so real what he did for me when I sense this presence. And this presence lives on us and in us. And this presence is what we have that we can take out there where there isn't peace and people haven't been rescued. So remember, the next time you're in a situation that isn't peaceful, where people desperately need rescued, just take a second and ask him to be Emmanuel, God with you, God in you, to touch them and change the atmosphere. He'll do it, I guarantee it. He's not a liar. He fulfills every promise. Had to go there. Uh, I have some, some things that, I wanna start out by, by saying something that I would wager all of us have said And most of us might have had second thoughts about it after we said it. I know it's something I ponder off and on. And I've even said just the opposite. God is in control. You know, it's, it's kind of gotten to be a, a platitude. You know what a platitude is? 
It's a saying that's meaningless or boring. Oh my. <laughs> Is the savior of the world meaningless or boring? No. So when somebody's in trouble and we say, hey, I'll be praying for you, God is in control. And then I step back and I say, you know what? He's not in control. I mean, Jesus himself said three times at least in one epistle, one gospel, that Satan is the ruler of this world. That's right. Satan is the ruler of this world. So is God in control? <sighs> Dang. He's sovereign, isn't he? He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent ruler of all things. He's the creator. Of course he's in control. He can do anything he wants, right? So are we schizophrenic? So what are we missing? What are we missing? Because it really sounds like I have a divided mind. Satan's the ruler of this world. God is in control. He's sovereign. Which is it? Well, here's the deal. God made a choice when he created us to have relationship close relationship he made us just a little lower than him he gave us creative power we create living beings who else does that god they have eternal spirits And he chose to have relationship with us and give us that power. Let's look at some choices that we're faced with when we try to sort out whether God is sovereign and in control <clears throat> or whether Satan is the ruler of this world. Do you think it's possible that both are true? Yes. Okay. Okay, so one doesn't necessarily negate the other. Okay, all right. This week, uh, on Wednesday, it was really windy. And somehow, something in this wind got into my eyes. And they got all itchy and all swollen. And I was at work, and so I was busy, and I was talking to people, and I was doing all kinds of stuff. And so I ran and I got a couple of paper towels and I put cold water on them and put that on my eyes. It felt so good. It was such a relief. Took away the itching and the burning. 
and probably help the swelling from the allergy. But as soon as I took that paper towel off, it all came back. It was a real temporary fix. So I put that cold paper towel back on my eyes and breathed a sigh of relief again. But I couldn't look at prices or run the cash register or talk to people. I couldn't get anything done with that cold paper towel on my eyes. So I knew I was going to have to use the steroid cream that I have for allergies and the eye drops that I have. You know what? Those things sting. And they burn for a minute. But they fix the problem. So I could put the cold compress on and have blessed relief for a minute and not be able to get anything done. Or I can put the drops in my eyes and the cream on and put up with the burn for about five minutes and then the swelling and the itch would go away. And I could get something done. So I chose the burn and the sting of the medicine. And it basically solved my problem. Although you know, I, my face is still recovering, I still have swollen eyes and look sort of reptilian, but uh, this is something that we're faced with a lot. Is a choice that might be for a moment uh, a relief or might be for a time painful but would actually leave, lead us to a resolution. I think about <clears throat> Joseph and Mary. Joseph was a good guy. Joseph was happy to be getting married to Mary. He liked her. But when she said, hey, I'm going to have a baby, and it belongs to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm still a virgin. He went, ooh. And he thought about, man, they stone adulteresses. Is somebody going to kill my fiancé? Hmm, maybe I could just put her away quietly and not marry her uh, because I, I do like her. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. And that looked like his solution. But God said, no, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her for your wife. For the child who has been conceived is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Well, he knew it was God's voice. I mean, it, it's pretty hard to deny when God starts talking to you. It really is. So, painful, they were probably going to become the outcast family of their community. Everybody was going to talk bad about them, and he still faced the possibility that somebody might try to stone her. However, God said, be not afraid. So he swallowed thousands or hundreds of years of Jewish tradition and married her anyway. That was the painful 
but long-term solution to his problem. Whereas if he had just chosen to put her away quietly with respect to her, he would be turning his back on God and the will of God for his life and hers. <clears throat> could God have fixed it? I'm sure he could have. But the point is, it was not an easy choice. We are frequently faced with choices like that. And I think when Darren talked to us last week about some of the lethargy, as Glenn put it, <clears throat> that has set in, or complacency that we face on a daily basis is because we live in a world where everyone is expected to make the, the good choice for them personally. Have it your way. Have it your way. And when it comes to making a difficult choice or what seems like the difficult choice, we can't do it. We don't have anybody encouraging us to do it. Even our Christian friends say, well, God wouldn't want you to be poor. God wouldn't want you to suffer. God wouldn't want you to this, that, or the other thing. <clears throat> Get thee behind me, Satan. We have, in a very real sense, as Christians, chosen to listen to the ruler of this world. rather than the sovereign God who in his incredible, incomprehensible love and desire for relationship with us gave us dominion as human beings over the earth. He did that. He told Adam and Eve, Name the animals, rule this garden, take care of it, and, and do as you will. Enjoy paradise. It's yours to rule over. And what happened? <clears throat> there was one thing they couldn't have. One thing they couldn't have. And they were tempted, and they took it. And by taking that fruit, whatever it was from Satan, they gave away the dominion of this earth, of paradise, to Satan. Gave it away. Now that's how... He got to be ruler of this earth, ruler of this world. So how do you get it back? What do we do about that? Well, Jesus did it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. <clears throat> Excuse me, I can't hold the mic away while I cough. He gave his only son that we might have life. 
Well, what, what is that life? That life is a reconnection and a reconciliation to God and a return of that dominion and that authority and the power to use it and to rule over this earth. He conquered Satan. He did the job. So, does that mean God is back in control? Well, God's always been in control. But it was his choice to set it up this way. Dominion. So God decided from the very beginning that in relationship with him and hearing his voice on a regular basis and walking with him in the garden every day, man would rule the earth. Adam gave it away, lost it, and I don't know if they're showing any of these scriptures since I haven't said them. I've just been talking about them. But Jesus, God's only son, made the supreme sacrifice. And Satan offered to give him back the earth if he would just worship Satan. And yeah, that wasn't a lie. He had the power to do it because man gave it away to him. But Jesus did not take the easy way. I mean, he could have looked at that and said, whoa, I can get the earth back this way? Great. The easy way. But he didn't do that. He took the hard way. So, Jesus made the sacrifice. If he made the sacrifice and he got the earth back, once again, I have to ask, why do we need to pray? Isn't he in control? The Bible says in Matthew, Jesus told his disciples how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, if he's sovereign and he's going to have his way, why are we asking for something that we know is going to happen anyway? He said, give us our daily bread. Well, he knows our every need. So why do we have to ask for bread? Because he put us in charge. He gave us dominion. Yes, he's the sovereign ruler. He owns the earth and everything in it. He has the cattle on a thousand fields. But somebody needs to take care of those cattle. And somebody needs to steward all that there is here on the earth. And he gave it to us to do. So one of the things that Glenn often says is that God is not locked away in his heaven waiting for us to scream and yell at the devil so God can do something, which is what a lot of former 
spiritual warfare teaching was saying, but he is waiting for his sons and daughters to call things that are not as though they were. He looked around in Ezekiel in verse 22, no, chapter 22, verse 30. It said, he searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap for the land, but he found no one. So he poured out his indignation on them, consumed them in the fire of my wrath, the, his wrath, and brought it on their heads. He's still searching for somebody to stand in the gap, and that's our job. That's our relationship with him. That's why he wants to talk to us every day. And I'm preaching to myself here. Yesterday, I had to get just one thing, and I was going to go to Dollar General. Because who wants to go to Walmart the Saturday before Christmas, or almost the Saturday before Christmas, when the parking lot is so full you have to park in front of Hibbets? For some reason... I just felt like God said, go to Walmart. Okay, I'll go to Walmart. We'll see what happens. So I get into Walmart, and I run back to the aisle where I need to get the one item. I find it, and I get it in my hand, and I'm turning around to walk out, and this lady says, oh, I just don't know what to do about Christmas. Write to me. Write to me. And I said, okay, God, what's up here? What do I need to do? And she started talking, and she didn't stop. And, and honestly, I, at first I tried to listen, so I could try to sort of catch up with what the problem actually was about Christmas. But I had to do something with pets and grandchildren and kids that she hadn't seen, and a son in Afghanistan, and whew, all kinds of things. And I couldn't get a word in edgewise, so I started saying, Father, what, what, what? Help me out here. I need to hear your voice. And I just couldn't get anything, and I couldn't think of a way to break in without being rude, and I gave up. And I said... I really have to go. I'll pray that you have a Merry Christmas and get this all figured out. Oh, okay, Merry Christmas to you too. And the very next person that came around that corner, she started in doing the same thing. I could hear her before I got six feet away. Somehow, I failed. But what I know above all else is that what I did was I took the easy way out. I, I didn't want to take the time to say, slow down, what's up? How could I pray for you? Help me out here. I, I took the easy way out. Even though I knew God sent me there. So I was, I was feeling pretty convicted by the time I got home. Didn't feel good at all. 
And God told me, he said, I, I, I want you to keep this in the forefront of your mind. It wouldn't have been that hard, really. It wouldn't have been. I, I can think of a dozen ways now that I could have pursued that situation because I believe he took me there for her. I really do. But I took the easy way out. And I regret it. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that we're living in a day when many of us are taking the easy way out. If we keep our kids so busy with sports that we don't have to do stuff with them at home, then we don't really have to have a deep relationship and answer the difficult questions. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports, okay? It, it, to me, it's just the same as allowing your kids to sit in front of a video game or a TV or a movie or whatever it might be that keeps you from having a deep relationship with them and answering the difficult questions. Because who is going to answer your kids' difficult questions if you don't? It's going to be the ruler of this world. And he is not going to give them good answers. His answers lead only to death. Only to death. And that applies with any family member, with our co-workers. God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap, who will listen for his voice and not give up and take the easy way out and leave Walmart. Now, I, I, he's not mad at me, and I know he forgave me for that, but, but I know he doesn't want me to forget either. And it was, it was a real good lesson for me. And I'm sure it's not the only time I've failed. I'm sure I fail more than I succeed. But with his help, I'll get better at it every time. Every time. And when Jesus was with the disciples, and he said... In John 20, 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It, that's not very many words, but whoa. As the sovereign Lord sent Jesus to us, so Jesus sends us. Wow. <laughs> there are lost and dying people all around us. We're related to a lot of them. And we have a responsibility to listen for Father's voice and know how to represent Christ to them. Their Savior, the one who has the right answers. Now that, 
that responsibility can be pretty heavy and it can make us afraid. We can let it lead us to worry, fear, all kinds of things. But that's not the idea. That's not what God had in mind. And that's not what Jesus had in mind either. As he told them in Luke 24, verse 45 through 49, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So he'll help us sort out this business of he's in control and he's sovereign, but Satan is the ruler of this world. Okay, so that means I'm a representative of Christ to the people who are lost in this world. But in the kingdom of God, <clears throat> the king's dominion, where I live now, I have dominion. And I have authority. And I have responsibility. But with that, I can also have power. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And without that, it's a difficult struggle. But Jesus went on to say, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. And you are to stay in the city until you are clothed, covered, surrounded, wrapped in power from on high. Power to do the things that he's asking of us. To be the ones that stand in the gap and say, you can't have this one, Satan. You are defeated. There's still some people who are blinded and think that you're the ruler of this world and you're having a heyday with a lot of them. But I know it's not true. I know you're defeated. And God is the sovereign God. And this is his dominion. And that's what I'm living in and walking in. And when we take that with us, we change lives and we change atmospheres and that's why we pray and we listen for his voice we pray and he works and prepares things ahead of us now i messed it up with that lady i didn't listen long enough or carefully enough but i'll bet you i don't mess it up next time i bet i'm going to be a little more patient next time and a little more sensitive but every time that you try and fail, you've learned something. And if you don't try, you will fail for sure. So take this responsibility that feels so heavy and consider it a privilege. A privilege to walk in the king's dominion 
with his authority and his power backing us up so that we can speak things that are not as though they were. That's what prayer is. God spoke creation into existence. He didn't make it all. He spoke it. And he has given us the authority to speak things according to his will. In Colossians 1.24, Paul was talking to the church and said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I got to be honest, right after I got saved and I read that, I thought, he was off base. How could there be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? Christ suffered and died for us. He finished the job. It is finished. But here's the deal. Our part is to represent him and the sacrifice he made here on the earth. And sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we have to stand confused in the aisle at Walmart and be patient to really hear his voice and what he would have us do. Sometimes we suffer in a freezing mountain village. And sometimes we suffer trying to be patient and talk with a co-worker who gets on our last nerve every single day. But that is how we do our part, to fill up what is lacking on the earth. So pray. Pray for the things that you know are God's will. Pray for the things that you know will set people free. Use your voice. Speak things into existence that are not. God's waiting for us to do that. No, he's not tied up. He's not crippled. But this is how he set it up. This is our part. Julie, you want to talk about doing your part? Okay. <clears throat> Can anybody hear me? Am I on here? Okay. Um, Okay, well, this summer, uh, actually, I was thinking about writing a book, and I was going to name the book Memorial Stones, because I felt like when I'm gone, which I'm only 61, so I don't expect that to be real soon, but I thought, when I'm gone, I want my kids to know all the things that God has done, and I want my grandchildren to know, and when I started thinking about this book, I thought, well, I got all these testimonies from the 80s. 
and all these testimonies from the 90s. But, okay, this is kind of a dumb idea because I'm not gone yet. Why can't my kids and grandchildren see what God is doing now? I mean, what's wrong with now? I don't have any really recent good testimonies. And it wasn't that I wasn't praying. I was praying for myself and for God to unwind all the twisted things. And that was needed. That was good. But I, I hadn't really been praying for others. And about that time, I was taking an online class. And part of that class, uh, there was a teaching by Dutch Sheets on praying for the lost. And so I just want to share a couple of scriptures uh, about that and how that inspired me and then share some testimonies of what happened since that time. Um, okay, Second wow. Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And, you know, we've heard this before, but he, you know, brought out some of the Greek uh, meaning of this that kind of opened it up a little bit, made me understand it better. That word veil is the Greek word kaluto, and that means to be hidden or covered. The interesting thing about this word is you can put a Greek prefix on the front, apo, which would be apokaluto, which means the undoing of the veil, which is our word for revelation. So they've got, there's a veil there that needs to be taken away. They need to have a revelation. Um, the word for mind isn't talking about the literal mind. It's talking about a conclusion that is reached, the thoughts and a conclusion that is come to. Blinded is a word for darkened. So another way of understanding this scripture would be that the God of this world has darkened the conclusions that people have come to that aren't believers, and that has made a veil that they can't see the glory of God. Um, an example of this might be if, um, let's say somebody grows up maybe in a, in a Christian home, but they're a real legalistic Christian home. And so they see God as being demanding and exacting. They don't grow up knowing the mercy and the love of God. Um, and so later in life, when somebody tries to uh, preach the gospel to them, uh, it comes through that filter. Well, I don't, you know, I don't want that because God is this harsh, exacting God. I don't want that. And so that, that veil or those darkened conclusions keep them uh, from being able to see the light of the gospel. Okay, does that make sense? This is the problem. Of course, God has a solution to that problem, and we are part of the solution. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. Wait, I'm getting there. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. Um, that word mighty there is dunamis, and there's several Greek words for power, but this word means power in action. In other words, when we pray, when we use those, that weapon of prayer that God has given us, divine power is released from our prayers. The authority of God is actually released from our prayers so our prayers are going to really do something. I mean, this is not just a religious exercise. You know, we say, well, I'll pray for you. Well, the only thing I can do is pray for you. That's the best thing you can do for somebody. We are, you know, we, with our prayers and faith, we are the most powerful people on the earth. Um, and then, you know, what are we praying for? The pulling down of strongholds. And what are those strongholds? Well, they're arguments. Uh, and here we are back to what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 4. Those arguments are calculated reasoning, thought patterns, philosophies. So we can see that these strongholds are a way of thinking um, that is keeping, that's the veil. It's the strongholds. And we can tear those strongholds down in the spirit. Uh, so every high thing, uh, that's rejecting God's rule or, or pride. I want to be the one that rules my life. Um, bringing into captivity every thought uh, where before Satan was the one controlling the conclusions. Now as we pray, God is the one controlling those conclusions. Um, and I'd like to have us read this in another version because... It's, uh, it's a little bit more plain. Um, this is the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, but it says, It is true that I am an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds, these weapons can break down every proud argument, every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. Isn't that an awesome picture? of what we can do with our prayers. Um, and so I started putting this into practice. What, what does that look like to put into practice? Um, and I, I had uh, certain people that I was praying for, um, and I asked God, what would be the stronghold? Some of them, if you know the person, the strongholds, maybe some of them are kind of obvious. Pride is always a big one. But I asked God to show me strongholds. And I just started praying that these specific strongholds of pride, unforgiveness, um, bitterness, 
that they would be torn down by the power of God. And when I ran out of what to pray for in English, I just prayed in the Spirit. Because Romans 8 says, you know, the Spirit of God prays when we don't know what to pray. And I had certain little, I call them pet prayer projects, a couple of people I was praying for. There was uh, one couple that I knew that was in the midst of a divorce. And I mean, it was to the point where they were living separately, had lawyers, the whole thing. And I, the two things that I really prayed for this man, the man had left his wife. And uh, I came against pride, and he also had a really good-paying job that just took him away from his family all the time. And I, and I prayed that God would break down uh, that love of money. Those are the two sp specific things that I prayed. Um, so after a couple weeks of praying, this guy called me, and he was driving to his next job. He had an eight-hour drive, and he spent an hour telling me all the reasons. Well, I just wanted to let you know, we're getting divorced. Here's the reasons why. Spent an hour telling me all the reasons why. Okay. So about a week and a half later, uh, he calls me back, and he says, you know, I got to tell you what's going on. He said, you're going to think I'm totally bipolar after we had that last conversation. But he said, after we hung up the phone, he said, I still had seven hours of driving to do. And he said, I thought, you know, I haven't prayed in a long time. Um, the person is a backslidden Christian. He said, I haven't prayed in a long time. I thought, this is a, a really major decision to make to not ask God. What does he think? And so he said, I just told God, you know, if you, know, if you want me to stay with her, I'll stay with her, but you're going to have to do something because I hate her, and, and you're going to have to change my heart. But he said he prayed that whole seven hours, and he says, you know, I don't know what happened, but he said when I got there, I loved her. He said, I didn't just love her. He said, I felt like I am so lucky to have her. And he went and bought a plane ticket and flew back home after driving all night, flew back home because he wanted to make things right at home. And he called his boss. Remember the other thing I prayed for? He called his boss and he says, you know, I know this is really inconvenient for you for me to not be there on the job, but he said, if you want to fire me and I have to be a pizza delivery guy, he said, that's fine because it is more important to me to have my family together. Hallelujah. God, God answers prayer. Um, there was another situation. It was a, a divorce situation again. And uh, I had talked to the, the man and his wife about you know, each of them said the same exact thing. Well, everything would be fine if they would change this and this. I'm not doing anything wrong, you know, but they need to change. And the wife said the same thing, and I was like, oh, goodness. Um, but I hadn't heard from them, so I called them, and I had been praying. And I said, so what's up? Oh, yeah, we're back together. Now, he's not a big talker, but 
you know, they're back together, and I did see them recently, and everybody's happy. God is working. My point is, when I was praying for myself, but no one else, I didn't have a testimony to share. I wouldn't have had a testimony to come and tell you. Um, but God has called us to be co-workers together with him. 1 Corinthians 3 says, one plants, another waters, but God causes the increase. Um, sometimes we confuse, or I'll say me, I confuse, but maybe some of you too, confuse being passive with faith. You know, passive about our faith. Well, you know, I'm, I'm believing God for them. You know, in, uh, in Acts, the, the Philippian jailer, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your family will be saved. Well, that's a great promise. But that doesn't mean that you're not part of that process, right? And so, uh, you know, it's not like I'm going to sit here and be like, okay, God, well, you, you take care of that. I'll just binge watch crime TV over here while you're, you're taking care of that situation. I mean, no, God, God wants us to be praying. Um, faith is not passive. That, that is not scriptural. Faith is active. Uh, James 2, faith has works. Um, but I want I to share one more testimony, because, and this is an old testimony, this is from the 80s, um, but I, I think about this a lot when it comes to us being co-laborers together. Um, when I first came to the Lord, uh, and my husband was, was not a Christian, and I started praying for him, you know, and he's, he's in the construction business. At that time, he was the heating and air conditioning guy, you know, um, and so he he came home from work one day, and he said, he says, you know, this group of carpenters showed up on the job today, and it's just, it's a group of Christian guys, and they preached the gospel to me, and they took me out to lunch, and they're reading me all these scriptures, and they're asking me what my relationship with God is like, and all this, and it's like, wow, you know. Now, you know, if, if you're a wife with an unsaved husband, you don't preach the gospel to them. I mean, the, the Bible calls you to live your life before them. Let that be convicting to them, but they're not going to receive preaching from you. So I was like, that's awesome, you know? So a couple weeks later, he went to a new job. And he says, you know what? He goes, I go to this new job, and it's that same group of carpenters are there again, you know, and they're still preaching at me. Now, you have to understand, we lived in Columbus, Ohio at the time. I mean, it's a big city. It's not like Kirksville where, you know, you're going to see everybody at Walmart or the bank or Ruby Tuesdays or, you know, you see people you're trying to avoid, you know, you can't help it. I mean, in Columbus, you know, you can go the rest of your life without seeing somebody that lives in the same town, you know, unless you do it on purpose. So, you know, and there's probably like, I don't know how many, but, you know, 50 to 100 different carpentry crews. So it was unusual for it to be the same guys is what I'm saying. So, you know, he'd come home and he'd tell me, you know, well, they said this, 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 and this, you know. 
a couple weeks later, went to a new job. He comes home, he goes, you are not going to believe this. <laughs> you know who the carpenters are on this job? Same guys, again. So like four or five jobs in a row, this Christian carpenters. So he comes home one night, and he, you know, oh, it was a Wednesday night. So what time, what time are you leaving for church? He says, well, 6.30. And he says, well, do you mind if I go with you? Of course, I was very cool about it. I was like, sure, if that's what you want, you know. And, and then I went in the bedroom, and I'm like, yes, thank you, God, you know. And I came back out, yeah, you ready to go? <laughs> um, <laughs> but he got saved, he, you know. From that point on, he never saw those carpenters again. Never saw them again. And... You know, I believe God sent those carpenters. So when I'm praying for people, I mean, I think about that, and, and, and I'm like, God, send the carpenters. <laughs> now, I know God doesn't do things the same way twice, and I'm not literally meaning the carpenters, but I'm meaning, you know, there's other people involved. It's not just that I'm praying. Otherwise, you know, you could take the credit for it. But there's other people involved in the process, and, and I'm praying, God, Whatever else needs to happen, make that happen, you know? Send the carpenters. So um, I just want to say I hope that today with what Chelsea shared, with what I shared, that this is not just another Sunday and another service. I hope that you look at this as a call to action, that we're going to change the way we look at prayer. We're going to see it as that mighty power, that authority that God has given us to change things around us. And that we're going to leave here and we're going to be doers and not just hearers. Yes, amen. Okay, so, Chelsea. Thanks, Julie. I love that it was the carpenters. And there's nothing wrong with crime TV. <laughs> as long as you don't let it distract you from what God has in mind. Could we have a little music? We'd like to, since, since there is a call to action, we'd like for everybody to prayerfully consider Is it time to reactivate and rededicate your willingness to be a co-laborer with God? I don't think that anybody needs to lay hands on you. But if we could all stand and you would think about There is a manifest presence here. And yes, God can work with you right in his seat. But sometimes taking the step is important. If you're like me and you know that yesterday you messed up and tomorrow you want to do better,
or if you're like Julie and you're riding kind of high right now seeing the prayers that he's answered. Either way, this is a good time and a good place to show him your willingness to continue in the work he has for you, whatever it might be. And if you've never seen yourself as a co-worker with God, you need to recognize that you are. He wants you. He is looking for people who will stand in the gap. Overflowing.